Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. You and your car on America's best racetracks. That's the hooked on driving motto. GTM has been very fortunate to have partnered and worked with HOD for many years, as well as watching their program evolve and expand. For those that know Hooked on Driving, not much of an introduction is probably needed. But for those that might be new to the brand, with us tonight is Mike Arrigo, director of Hooked on Driving Northeast, to explain why HOD is America's number one non-competitive performance driving program. So welcome to Break Fix, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad I finally got on here. It's a long wait sometimes, and I apologize. You guys should have been on here a lot sooner. With that being said, let's talk about how you, Corvette Club Petrolhead, got involved with Hooked on Driving and how you've grown the Northeast program over the years and how you've made changes. You know, my usual joke when people ask me that, Mona told me not to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway, is uh, I lost a bet. Now I run Hooked on Driving. Truth is, you know, I started with a Corvette and I was uh, with NCCC, National Council Corvette Clubs. You know, most of their stuff was autocross and one high speed event we do at Jefferson every year at the Spooktacular, it was called. I mean, I was doing stuff with NASA mostly, PDA and NASA just become merged back then into one unit, Audi, Ferrari, the Corvette Club, you know, the usual track junkie stuff where you jump wherever there's a track day, you know, you're kind of running up to. I'm good friends with the regional competition director for Corvette. And Brian's like, you got to try this HOD. It was brand new. It had just come here and it was actually considered the Pennsylvania region when it first started, believe it or not. Interesting. I think David started it 2004. So this was like maybe 2007-ish. We went out there. It, it was pretty awesome. I'd say the first time I did an HOD event, it was really different from what I was used to. Most of the stuff was, it's that very club mentality, you know, or you went to like someplace that raced. So this was like kind of the first time there was something that was completely non-competitive and had no car brand affiliation. I saw the way Joe Mills ran his operation at the time. He was the original franchiser here. And uh, Joe Mills is a great guy. He still comes to all our events. It's like, I can never not have him around. We just saw him at Watkins Glen here at the finale yeah, of yeah, 2021. All the time. I just saw the way he looked at people and treated people. It was different. Like, you know, people, they, they were drivers, they were customers, they were guests, you know, they were real people. They weren't just like numbers on a balance sheet, so to say. And, you know, that's what really stuck out in my head at the time, because I drove to the track, you know, this was pre-trailering. So I had a hundred mile radius, but that was it. If AAA was going to tow me home, I was good. And then, <laughs> then it went to the 200 mile range. So unless I was going with somebody who was had a trailer and a car that they could drive in the street, like that was my little bubble. I mean, it was so great when I got the 200 mile trip because, you know, that opened the door for Watkins Glen and Summit and all the other places I always wanted to go to. But yeah, that was it. That, that really started me there. So after that, you know, I was still coaching for everywhere else. Five years down the road, Dr. Edelman basically took over. I love Fred. He's great, but he's a foot surgeon with multiple practices. Think about the time it takes. I mean, how much time does it take just to get yourself ready to go to an HPDE or any kind of driving event? Think about trying to run the operation. So it, it was a lot for him. I'm not really sure what Fred was thinking of buying hooked on driving as a surgeon. You think about it, like, you know, here you are, you know, 
in an operating room. And then the next day you're going to be out there just, you know, kind of handing out schedules and you put on a track of it. Definitely a, a different vibe for somebody. And it, it's a lot of work. His, his wife, Bridget, was really involved. And I think the first year, the legendary Jay Tepper pretty much took the reins and, and ran it for him. Year two with Fred, I think it was, Jay was kind of out of the picture. And then Chris Lou took over. And I had met Chris Lou at HOD. I think the first time I met Chris was up at New Hampshire Motor Speedway when we used to do the BMW event for um, South Shore BMW. Chris took over about half a season in, brought me on, and then the two of us kind of ran it for Fred for another year and a half or so. And that's when a lot of us here at GTM started to come on board, which is when you and Chris were running the show. We had a lot of good momentum because being a national brand makes things a little bit different. You know, we, we try to keep it somewhat standard, even though every region has their own little flavor to it. My region, which, you know, think about the area I have to encompass. I go from New Hampshire down to Virginia. I think I'm probably the largest region track-wise probably in the country. If I look at them, I'm not the busiest because, I mean, you look at California, they their season's 11 months out of the year. And, you know, if I can get six good months and two cross my fingers, I hope nothing goes bad months with weather, you know, I'm lucky. So we, uh, we got approached by uh, Corvette, by Chevrolet for the, the launch of the Stingray because they were bringing back the Stingray. They were worried. So that put us out there a lot more. We had two Stingrays for people just to play with at every event. And I think we did six national meets where we had Pratt and Miller there, I don't know, 90 some odd Corvettes come in there and they, you know, brought people in, you specialized. So if you owned a Porsche or you owned a GTR or you owned any of these kind of competitor cars, they brought you in to try and, and do this. And it definitely worked fantastic. So fantastic that, you know, our year two option, we weren't even needed. So we kind of just put ourselves up, which kind of sucked for me because, you know, my Z06 never appeared after that. <laughs> but um, it, it's a funny story. We were at New Jersey Motorsports Park. A guy comes out there and he's got his Porsche, his 911. He takes the Stingray for a ride. He loves it. Saturday, he goes right over to Kerbeck, puts his 911 on a trailer, takes a Z51 car right off there. And that's what he drove on Sunday. Nice. Like that. It's like, so I know that type of stuff works. Wish we could get back to doing that stuff and actually have live cars there for people to play with. Not every company wants to do that type of stuff anymore. It seems uh, companies have gone the way to, let me pay a marketing agency to do everything. <laughs> Let's unpack a couple of things here. So yeah. HOD as a brand, Hooked on Driving, started in California by David Ray. And that's where the yep. parent company comes from. And you mentioned briefly, there's been franchises of HOD over the years. Now, yep. when we came on the scene 2012-ish through people like okay. the Crutchfields and others, yeah. there were more regions to HOD. There's HOD Southeast. There was HOD Great Lakes. You know, nowadays it's it's changed a couple times. There's HOD Texas, there's like HOD Southeast again in Florida and things like that. So it kind of ebbs and flows. And as you mentioned, it changes ownership. But you've been around a long time now. You came on the scene, you know, in the early days and then took over in the 2012-ish time frame. If I got my calendars right, you've been growing steadily ever since. What has changed over your tenure at HOD? What have you really tried to improve from the early days? We tried to make things, I don't want to say the same, but we really tried to make sure we catered to every track and every demographic because how you operate in real South is very different than how you operate, say, up in Boston and Massachusetts, just completely different genre of people. In the beginning, there was the Pennsylvania region, which now became the Northeast. There was a Southeast, there was a Florida region, there was the California region, and there was the Great Lakes region. What had happened when uh, the Southeast region, we I kind of absorbed Virginia 
because that was, I really wanted Virginia. I think the two, two of the best tracks on the eastern half of the United States got to be Watkins Glen and VIR. There's a reason that magazines use them to do their tests and stuff. Absolutely. So I got Virginia and then Florida actually took over from basically the Carolinas down. So instead of having three regions on the East Coast, kind of muddled it down to two because there's a big gap of where tracks were. But in the meantime, we've been moving more and more west. So we've been doing stuff at NCM. The last two years with COVID and happened, it didn't happen, but uh, we run Camaro Fest every year. David would fly in and run Camaro Fest for them. And it was, so, uh, you know, we started doing pit race. I'm trying to put together a mid-Ohio type of back-to-back event with pit race, but track scheduling is just, it's an unbelievable juggling act. 2022 is definitely increased for us. As far as track days, we added a ton of track days, but I know I kind of went off there, but California had its region. There was a Pacific Northwest, and then California was two regions, Northern and Southern. Dwayne Dobson, the race car driver, took over the Southern region. But I know his racing career kind of took off more, so David Ray put California back into one region. Now we have Texas, Arizona. So David added a couple regions. The person that actually came out there and took him over. Real interesting guy. Name is David Zubik. If you look him up, he's got some history, Olympic skier. I mean, does a lot of uh, exotic car experience. He's been around a long time. I mean, I think everyone that's in hooked on driving family nationally all started somewhere, you know, in some kind of car enthusiast type of guy. I don't think anyone actually came into this because they just saw uh, they're going to be the next Warren Buffett by running an HBD organization. I think it's all a labor of love for everybody. And if I remember correctly, one of our members who was stationed down in Texas happened to go to a HOD Texas event. And I believe uh, Zubik, you mentioned, he actually owns the track, the home track that HOD Texas is based out of, which is Grand Sport Speedway, grounded in motorsport there. So that's really pretty cool. So would you say that's maybe one of the key differentiators between Hooked on Driving and other providers that are out there, be it Chin or SCCA or Just Track It and other folks that have been on Break Fix over the last you know year and a half or so? What would you say really stands out and makes HOD different? I think how we look at people how we treat people. We try to treat everyone as as an adult. I don't want anyone spoken down to. I don't want anyone feeling like inferior. I mean, the people that come to our events are, are pretty far along in life. You know, they're, they're CEOs, they're doctors, dentists, lawyers. I mean, they're professional people. They're usually top in their field. They're kind of decision maker type of guys, mostly. We want to treat them the right way. There's a balance to keeping people in order and, and kind of bringing them along and to treating them right. So uh, I don't consider them, you know, just some random driver. You know, uh, I don't say our coaches are instructing you and you're just some student out there. No, no, you're our guest. You've chosen to come to us and we're going to treat you as such. The same way if you had a guest at your house, you know, you're going to treat them a certain way and they're going to treat you a certain way also because, you know, they're a guest of yours. So we want to make sure everyone's an adult. We treat them as such. We expect them to act like adults. And I think it's been balanced out really, really well the way um, things have become. Uh, Kind of people that don't fit that HOD family mentality, I think they kind of uninvite themselves. They realize it's not for them. We look at it, we, we treat people as friends driving with friends. You know, they're gentlemen drivers out there. I mean, granted, I mean, we have Trans Am and IMSA teams and pro racers that come and practice with us on their pseudo name a lot of times that you don't see, but but they're still, they're drivers driving with drivers. You know, it's uh, there one day he came to us and he said to us, he goes, you know, he comes up to and he grabs Mo and he says, I got to tell you something about what goes on here. He goes, this is the first organization where the helmets come off. I know who drives that car now. It's not just that car and that car and that car. 
it's Joe and John and Larry and people become friendly and they talk, you know, at lunchtime, you know, you're sitting at the table and, you know, the guy that's driving that $6,000, you know, Miata is having lunch and yapping and they're all having a great time with the guy who just showed up in a Senate GTR. It's people, you know, we like to bring people together. We consider this the HOD family and everyone that comes to an event, we try to treat them that way. I think that's a big part of it. Well, I'll never forget one of the first instructor meetings that I went to where Chris Liu was, and he always had a certain way of presenting things, especially (laughs) the hierarchy, I guess you could say, and the way as coaches, you know, we don't call ourselves instructors in HOD. We call ourselves coaches the way we would treat the guests. And I always thought it was hilarious. You know, he'd tell us right up front, you know, you're adults, be professional, do your job, but also remember that they're here to have fun, be safe. And if they learn something as, as a result, so be it. Yeah. So he always put the impetus on customer service. And I will say that is something that definitely has always stood out about HOD versus anywhere else that I've been. No slight against anybody else. You know, there's a ton of fantastic groups out there, but you guys really make it a point to be forward about it, to be very upfront. Like you said, Joe Mills set that precedent by making customer service the number one priority. It's really important. And I I do feel that is a key differentiator. But let's move on a little bit and talk a little bit more about HOD. So as the Pennsylvania region originally, and now Northeast, does HOD Northeast have a quote unquote home track or home base? That's kind of hard to say. When you have an area that stems from New Hampshire down to Virginia, it's hard to say what's going to be your home base. You know, I live 11 miles from Pocono, give or take. Can I say that's my home base? No, not really. You know, we do a lot of events in New Jersey. I think we're doing seven different dates in New Jersey. We have eight days at Watkins Glen in 2022 now. So it, it's kind of hard to pick a track that, that say that's my home base, you know, because we're national. You know, we want any anyone who comes, you know, becomes part of that team HOD, you know, it's like, What's your home track? Well, anyone you want to be at, so to say. So I I, I don't want to just pick, I couldn't really say home track. That's fair. That's fair. Guacan's Glen's probably one of my favorite because of the area, because, you know, we have some good friends up there also, you know, overall a good time up there. You know, it's just, it's just such a fantastic facility. If I live closer to VIR, I might say VIR. It's it's tough to pick one track, just in case any of the track operation guys are out there listening. You're all, (laughs) we love you all. Yeah, right. Give us better date. So let's switch gears a little bit, because obviously we're talking about HPDE, High Performance Drivers Education. There's always an emphasis on the E part of this, which is education. So let's talk about HOD's DE program. What is it like? What are expectations for somebody that's new and never been to an HOD program? Or maybe there's some things that veterans have forgotten that you would like to remind them of. What's it like at an HOD event, you know, for the first time? There's basically two things I I look at uh, that are major for me. You know, one is safety. Safety is already paramount for me. You got to have a safe day. People get comfortable and they realize that this is actually going to be safe for them. Their anxiety level goes, drops down a little bit. You know, I try to explain to people, you know, say, Hey, you know, you're doing 70, 80 miles on a highway. You have no idea the girl next to you is crying, texting her boyfriend who just broke up. The truck driver's been in out there for 17 hours, you know, in, you know, about to fall asleep and you're three inches away from them. You're going to come here. You're going to have a closed racetrack. No cross traffic, no this, no that. No one's going to pass you without you knowing about it. You're going to be in complete control of everything that goes on around you. It's a lot safer. So we try to explain that to them and bring their anxiety down as, as far as someone new goes. It's very structured, as, as you see, but it's also very fluid at the same time. So we, we have to make sure to balance that structure with the fluidity of what people want. So after that, I look at it, so the next part of it, like you mentioned before, is my motto. You have safe, have a good time. 
Because if we make this enjoyable for you, like anything else, you know, you can't help but learn something about you, about your car, about the person next to you, whatever it is, you're going to come away with some bit of knowledge. This is for me. I love this. I can do this. This is not whatever the case may be. Then the other part of it is like, what does that individual want out of this? There's some people out there that they want to be the next Emerson Fitter, Paul D or, you know, Mario Andretti, or, you know, they might have real aspirations. They want to, you know, go to Formula One one day. Who, Who knows out there? We got to figure out what that one person is looking for. What's their goal? We have people out there, their only goal is like, listen, I got this great car. I, you know, I do 50 miles an hour on the highway because I don't want to get a ticket or get hit by a deer or something like that. I want to see what it can do, but I want to make sure I'm safe doing it. So that coach's job for that day is to help that guy achieve that goal. He wants to just see what this car is like. He wants to learn. He wants to get more comfortable with it. The next weekend, that coach might be with someone and he's like, listen, I think I want to race one day. I love it. I, you know, I, I don't want to street race anymore. I want to, I want to do this. And, and so we really customize it for what that person wants. But under that complete structure of like, these are the guidelines that you have to follow. Right before every event, you know, kind of three, four days before the event, you get them. I, you know, I send out like a two-page email. Make sure you, you know, follow up, check your car, give that that flag talk, the ancient flag video from, uh, you know, David. You want people to really understand. So when they come out there, they're already prepared. And I think if you give people a little bit more information about that and what to expect and what to do, they'll have a better time. It'll flow easier. So to your point, I think one of the things that's often overlooked or maybe misunderstood about HPDE, it is a discipline within motorsport, right? It's educationally focused, but a lot of people Mm -hmm. that I've talked to that I'm like, Hey, you should really come to the track. You should check it out. They're apprehensive. I've discovered there's this fear that they're going out there alone. They're going to take their car and they're out on the track by themselves with 50 other people. Like you said, in reality, it's not like that. You have somebody in the right seat. You have a classroom scenario that you're going through. You're being educated on how to improve your driving and grow yourself as a driver and learn your machine, et cetera. That's the focus behind the DE part of HBDE. So let's talk a little bit more about how HOD does it differently. What does Jay, as we all know, Jay is classroom instructor emeritus. What does he do? What does he talk about? What type of knowledge does he try to transfer to these newbies? Well, usually our structure kind of is based on, you know, we get them in the classroom. So the new guys are going to go out there. They're going to be with their coaches. You know, we have a small driver's meeting. They meet their coaches if they haven't already communicated because we send out an email. And I got to say, we get about a 90% response that the coaches and our guests have actually contacted each other. They got in the talk. They got a little bit of that out of the way. So when they meet each other for the first time, they've, you know, they've already had some sort of conversation or dialogue. They'll now go out on track. There's a, an orientation and inspection lap. So you're going to drive under highway speeds. Helmet's not required. There's a pace car out there and there's no passing. So you're just going to go out there single file and you've been part of it. You've seen it. And that's just kind of to alleviate so people can get a little bit of vision of what's going on out there where things are for like 15 minutes or so before they get into that classroom. That angst that go out out there, we got, we're going to be out on track, we're going to be out on track, probably builds up for you know that two hours while they're in that classroom before they really get out there. So I think by doing that orientation inspection lap out there that goes out there, they get to see the track and it's multifold. You, know, you can inspect the track, you can see what's going on and you kind of get that a little bit out of your system. You've been out there, even though it's slow and you realize the residual effect is like all those flaggers are holding out a yellow flag. So now you understand what a flag is You've seen the video if if you hopefully read the email that we send out and watch. And that guy's standing out there with that flag out there. And he's like, oh, okay, so flags. So now when he gets in that classroom, they talk about flags. They've already seen it out there. There's a guy holding that flag. There's a guy waving that checkered. So they get a little bit out of their system right then and there. 
the head of the classroom where Jay takes over and starts to go over the basics, what high-performance driving really is, what's involved in it, a little bit of the physics behind it, and a lot of the communication that you're required to use. So that way, when you get in the car with that coach, you have already kind of somewhat built up that skill set. So that communication is much, much easier and fluid. We try to make sure that there's a relationship built. Ken does this, you know, when I'll, I'll talk about Ken after to it too, because he's just a fabulous part of the organization. Goes out there and he really looks. He says, you know, part of being personal with everyone, I said, okay, I know that he's six foot four. I'm not putting him in that Miata. <laughs> I know that he's, you know, tiny, but, you know, he's he just drives all front wheel drive cars. So if I put him with that Cobalt, those guys are going to meld well, you know? So there's a lot of background work to really try and make sure that people are paired up personality-wise also, along with the cars that they're used to. Let's be realistic out there, you know? A guy who drives a Cobra probably is like, oh my God, I got a Corvette guy in the car with me now, you know? And a guy in a vet and goes, I don't want that Mustang guy teaching me anything. You know, so we try to <laughs> really break that apart like that because, you know, the Corvette and the Viper guy and the Mustang guy, they're all having lunch together later on. So we, we really break the clicks. There's really no hierarchy of this group of coaches and that group of coaches and, and these guys over here. You know, we, uh, we try to make really make everyone feel like they're at home, like there's no one's inferior or mm -hmm. better than anyone else. At the end of the day, same blood runs through all of our veins here, no matter how good or bad we are. You know, no matter how good we've become, you know, one point in our lives, we got in that car for the first time, like, what the hell? What's that third pedal for? My mom never told me that third pedal. What the hell is that? You know, we all started somewhere and really had no clue. And someone brought us along. And no one was born being a Lewis Hamilton or, a, you know, or an Anton Seta. I try to kind of remember, remind people that you were there one day. Remember what it was like that. So that way you can better help this person that's there now. I think we do a decent job. We're always, we, we always try to do a little bit better. We send out surveys and uh, we really listen to what people try to have to say you know, yep. about things that go on there. For 2022, we're definitely making some changes based on the surveys we've gotten from people on how they like runs, how the run groups are structured, how the timeframes are structured. You know, they're adaptive. I don't run 20 minute sessions at every track. Like some other places will do that. He goes, nope, it's 20 minutes on the 20s, on the 40s and on the zeros. And that's it. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. You know, 20 minutes at a, at a three and a half mile track is like, okay, I just did seven laps. I'm back in there, you know, take your three laps to warm up. You don't want to do a half hour session at a one and a half mile track either. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah. that might be too much. So it's hard to find a balance with the hours that go on there. And I think that's one of our strengths that we really try to focus and customize every track experience based on that track and based on the people we have coming. The run group sessions, that we, the way we run them, we're A, B, C, D. You know, A is our novice group. And the wristbands are colored and everything else that goes on there. So you always know what run group you're in. You do it a couple times, fourth, fifth, sixth time, you know, depending whatever it is, you know. But now that classroom kind of gets stale at the same time, right? Yeah. You don't need to hear Jay's classroom for a fourth time. I mean, it gets repetitive after a while. And each track is kind of customized a little bit to it. But maybe you've been to Thunderbolt three times already. Guess what? You don't need to seat that same classroom for the fourth time. For 2022, one of the things we're planning is once you've been to a track, yeah, you've done this a couple of times, you've, you know the classroom stuff, you have that basics and the bad habits have already been broken, you're going out there. You know, maybe you're not ready to go out there on your own yet. But we're going to start to say, okay, once you get that first classroom in where we're going to remind you because, you know, you can never say it enough, the flag talk, the safety talk, and the safety speech, they're going to start going out with some of the more, the advanced tutoring that's going on there and the instructing that's going on, you know, with our classrooms. We're going to teach something more dynamic, say from each corner. So now you're going to go out there and we're going to be doing stuff from the track side. So maybe we'll be picking a corner. 
at that corner, there might be really good examples of how the apex is taken, how the track out is used. And the way we formatted our schedule is right after the A group, C, D, B, A, C goes out, which are more, are more advanced drivers. You know, those are our solo advanced drivers passing us out anywhere. And they could say, see what that car's done, you know, and then start to explain, say he's a little off in the next car. So that coach that's going out there with them, one of our group leaders is really going to focus on them where people can ask questions and do things and make it a little bit more interactive on there. Eventually you get good enough. You don't need a coach in the car anymore, or you don't need it every time anymore. Prior, you'd go from A to B. I start to look at this. I'm like, so group B, intermediate drivers, you know, the biggest variety of talent. My favorites, my favorites are the Bs, <laughs> but and continue. B and, and the cars, right? Because you got low horsepower cars and then you got ZR1s and everything in between. And you have guys that just became solo and guys that should have been advanced a long time ago, but I don't want to play with the big boys. Most of my friends are in B still. So I'm going to register there. So you got this extreme vast talent separation and car separation. And it become overwhelming because the pace is much faster when you get into B. I mean, I, you know, depending where you go and which B drivers are there, I'm like, holy shit, these guys are just like killing it. When half the team is, you know, running 206 to 210s at Watkins Glen in the B group, you're like, wow. You know, so <laughs> what we're doing. So when you're done with A, you're actually going to run in with A solo now. You're going to be out there on your own, but at the pace you're already used to, the size limitations have changed. Also, so Watkins Glen is 3.4 miles long. I think we're only going to take 12 A's, 17 A solos, 35 B's. If you look at it there, you know, that's not even 10 cars per mile, basically, on, on most of the like that. If you're looking at the A group, it's pretty small. We're really going to try and stick to that now. And it, it gives me a little bit of a buffer for the people that might exaggerate their talent for the first time, or, you know, they might be a C level driver at a track like. Pocono, but you know, they get to walk in Glen where it's very different. They're like, okay, I'm not ready for that. Right. So we're very adaptive and very fluid. After the first session, we've kind of know the newer people that have never been with us if they're in the right group. So they might need to be moved up or moved down. Um, I know a lot of places, your first time running with them, like you got to start at the beginning. Do I need a guy who's here for the first time is one WRL California and lucky dog? Does he really belong in the novice group because he's never run with us? No. We treat him like adults. We let him register where they want, but we also do our homework. We look at their experience. If something looks out of whack, they're getting a phone call. Our group leaders have notes on every driver that comes in there. This year, for the most part, we've had the same group leaders almost at every event, or they're there doing something. So they get to know the drivers. You know, you get to see the drivers. Drivers start to become, you know, used to each other's. But I think that's one of the bigger changes we're doing for next year, limiting the run group sizes tremendously. So listeners... As you can probably ascertain by this point, you think I talk a lot on this show. If I let Mike go, he takes all of the runway. And I mean that in the most loving way, by the way. I mean, you, you are definitely a talker, but we have to unpack a little bit of all this stuff you said here because you covered a lot of ground. So I want to refresh our listeners' minds here for a minute, especially if they're learning about hooked on driving for the first time. So what did we just cover in your talk here? We talked about expectations. We talked about what to expect in the classroom, what Jay covers. We talked about progression models. We talked about 
number of cars on track, the run groups, right? I do think we need to expand a little bit more on the progression model, but I also want to remind folks that when you come to HOD, when you're signing up in the A group, the beginner and novice group, you are assigned a coach. It's a one-to-one student to instructor ratio, which is awesome. As a coach myself, a veteran coach of HOD, I, you know, I love the fact that I can come in and work with you, the student for the entire weekend, right? Be it a two-day event, three-day event at Watkins Glen, things like that. I can really focus my attention on your car, your needs, what needs to get done. And my job is to augment everything that's going on in the classroom that Jay and also the CI, Kenny, are covering. So they don't cover all of it in the textbook sessions. We have the rest of the work to do out in the field, but we're working together. We're working in concert with the material that's there. It's a really great thing. And I hate this term, but it's a symbiotic relationship between the coaches in the field and what's going on in the classroom. Just want everybody to understand that you're covered on all ends. You're not alone. And if you do feel as though you're off by yourself, raise your hand, come say something to somebody because that's not the HOD way. That's for sure. But let's unpack the progression model a little bit more, Mike. A is our beginner novice. B is our intermediates. And then we have C and D group. So you kind of hinted that C group is advanced. And then there's this mysterious, also quite alluring D group, which we'll talk about. But how does one get from A to B to C to D? How does that exactly work? A group is our our novice group. Like you've never done this before. You want to try it. You sign up. We try to get you acclimated. What you're going to do is you're going to have a dedicated one-to-one coach, right? You're going to sit there when you're, whenever you're on track, that coach is going to be there. Helmet to helmet communicators are absolutely mandated by us. So you're never going to be screaming over someone or fearing like that. And he's going to be with you and he's going to guide you through that, everything that has to go on there. You know, you could say, I don't want to say concierge, but you know, he's there for you. You know, we've weeded out people that have just come kind of just, oh, I just want some free track time and I'm out of here. I got to say everyone I see come to our events almost entirely are doing that just because they just, they just love to give back to the sport. It's amazing how many people just show up. So yeah, you know what? My car broke last weekend, but they're still there coaching. You know, they're not just saying, oh, well, my car broke. I'm not coming anymore. You know, it's few and far between when that happened. And it's very understandable. I don't expect someone who lives in upstate New York to drive down to VIR just, you know, to coach with us. It's like they're there for them. They'll hold that person's hand as much as needed. You're going to have classroom time that's really going to go over and get you ready for what goes on on track. You know, it's a racetrack. Oh my God. But you know, you start to realize that you're probably doing faster speed sometimes on that off ramp than you are in some of these situations till you really get used to it. So you do this, you're out there, you've got your track time in, you're at the point where a coach is like, you're, you're hitting, you're doing everything right. You know, you're, everything you do is very consistent. If you're consistent, you're good. Because even if you're doing the wrong thing consistently means you have the ability to learn something at that point. You're not just random. And that's what it is. You, you know, you're, you've become predictable. At some point, you're doing yourself a disservice if someone's always pushing yourself. Because part of what we try to do is we want to teach people how to self-learn. And, you know, I can give you a fish or I can teach you how to fish, right? If I could teach you the habits of the basics that are out there, because listen, there's a million different ways to do something, right? There's always things that are absolutely wrong and there are things that are absolutely right. We try to make sure that you have those proper habits, you know, don't drive with one hand, don't lean your seat back, don't put your arm over the, you know, over the steering wheel, like you're, you know, you're cruising on a round, you know, get those, break those bad habits of making sure that you have the proper tools in your toolbox now to learn. 
comes a time where now you become soloed off, right? You know, they, they go through progression, they check you out. We have a, a sheet that every coach, when they want to check someone off, right? They go through it, make sure this student does this, 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 and this. I'm not going to go through the two pages of what they're looking at and say, you know what? I think this person's ready. You know, I think your time to really be out there on your own. At that point, the group leader will go out there and he'll, he'll get someone and they'll do a checkout ride. Before that checkout ride, though, that coaches and one of the other coaches or group leaders is probably been watching you on track now because he knows that you're going to go solo soon. And to see what's going on from the outside, you go through all that, you find that, boom, you're now a solo driver out there. But that's not the end. You know, you're still going to be with someone. So once you get soloed, that coach is staying with you. So whether, you know, you decide that we're going to do some lead follow exercises, drive in my tracks, pretend there was snow out there type of scenarios. And, you know, we have a lot of tools in our toolbox. You know, all of you guys are just fantastic. We couldn't do this without all of you coaches out there. You know, I haven't coached in quite a few years. And believe me, I, I will never forget how difficult it is sometimes out there. You know, you're never alone. Like, so once you're solo, you know, that group leader now, when you move to the next group is always going to be there as kind of that person to go to, you know, he's going to be there for you. You know, whether you have a problem with a turn or, you know, you're having an issue or, you know, you want to work on something, they're always going to be there with you as, as well as the coaches. And I mean, you can attest how many times you say, listen, you want to jump in this car with this guy? Because he really has, he's having issues at turn seven over there. And, you know, just, you know, he might be a C driver, but, you know, he's just trying to get a little bit better at this, you know, so always there for you. So guys get soloed, they'll go out and the passing rules in A and B are pretty much straightaways. And in B, they're a little more looser, maybe an extra area here or there where the wheels are perceived straight. Generally, you know, there's no passing in the corners in that B Bravo group because, we're, you know, we're still getting you used to that higher pace now. Once you get to that, you know, you have group leader meetings afterwards and some classroom time in our group B. You come to the point where it's like, you know what, I want to go to group C. And uh, a couple of times a year, we do uh, a passing exercise, very similar to what is done in race school, where we do drills where people are three wide at a very reduced speed kind of gets you very used to and comfortable being right next to a mirror to mirror with a car, you know, and we're doing this at 25, 30 miles an hour for a session, just so you can get used to, you force people to be in the corners next to each other. We also, you know, kind of set the pace where people get used to flowing around each other, almost like a dance. And, and you've done the exercise, so it's kind of hard to describe on uh, on a podcast, but you know, if you have three cars wide, you know, the car all the way to your right, so to say, if you're going in that direction, sets the time when people are going to move around by dropping back, going over and getting on the outside. You know, the car in the middle sets the speed you're going at and the guy on the outside kind of just blips along. So you'll be in one of those spots at every time. So whether you're the car all the way on the inside of an apex, taking your turn, but not being able to track out all the way because someone's next to you at a very reduced speed, that feeling of what it feels like to be next to each other in a corner or get past mm -hmm. multiple times most guys love the exercise you know if we get a group where every b driver in there says yeah we've all done this like three times already like that so you know we might bypass that but because you know we want guys people to be happy they realize the value in that and, and there's a reason that that's even taught in race school because you know no matter what you're not used to being i mean in, unless you're you know a little out there Nobody wants to be mirror to mirror with anyone on the highway all the time. You kind of want to be staggered. You want some space. You want some comfort zone, some emergency. Where am I getting out of this situation if something happens? So we want people to get used to that. So once they've at least done a B group exercise with us or or we know that driver, and we've you know taken steps to promote him. At that point, he's out there, he's consistent, he's at the top of the group. And it's not about being fast, right? Because right? no matter what, I mean, I mean, you look at the cars that are out there today, a mediocre driver in a Z06 or a ZR1 or a GTR is going to look a lot better with all those trunks there and there to help you than say 
someone with a maybe, maybe an older, slower E36, E30 Miata that has none of those things to kind of help them out there. So you really can't just judge on speed, you know? So that's what we do. We want, we really look at consistency, the flow, the courteousness and the situation and dimensional awareness of what you have around you. You have all those things, you know how to pass in the turns out because you got it. You provisionally moved up into C at that point. Does it take three days on track? Does it take two years on track? Everyone's different. You know, I don't right. tell people you have to do 10 days at this. And once you do this, then you can go to there. No, everyone's a little bit different. We have kids that come out, the karting champions. I'm like, does that kid need an exercise and, you know, dimensional awareness? No, he just needs to get used to how we do our things. You know, he's right. already got that right. skill set. Passing is allowed anywhere, still with a point by, which I didn't really get into for people that don't do this. Basically, when you're uh, when you're in these grunt groups, in order for someone to pass you or for you to pass them, there has to be a point by. So if, if, you, if you want to let someone around you, you're going to point them in the direction that you want them to go around you, either by sticking your arm straight out very courteously. And I know I'm, I'm sticking my arm out on a podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to kind of point up and like just kind of give a big swing over the... So people... When you watch the extras, you'll see me acting like a monkey, like now, like we're scratching my head here. So you're very much in control. And that's why I say it's a very safe environment where it's not like what, you know, seen on TV where people are just trying to get around each other. It's not, it's not like days that. of thunder. No, no, oh, not, it not as much as I, I know I put that movie on where Watkins went all the time in, in the background up there. Is it? No, it's a, it's very controlled. So the passing is always done controlled. And someone is always telling you, yes. So if you're behind somebody and, you know, you just can't just pass them. There's corner workers are out there that are watching everything along with coaches and group leaders that are out there and kind of in the background. And when something goes on like that, you know, you're going to get black flagged and come in, you know, flags are flags. But for people that no, no, if you get a black flag rolled up and pointed at you, it means you got to come and you're going to be spoken to about something. So nobody wants to lose track time. So there are, we don't get a lot of rule offenders. People realize that your safety is involved here and, and everyone out there. And that's why he said we're adults. So that's passing is anywhere. You guys want to go three wide at turn one in the high banking at Pocono? Go at it. You've got the skill set. You want to do it? Go. I got to say, you know, we have a very safe operation. A couple of years ago, the uh, Locked in Affinity does our insurance for us. And they came to us and they told us, I said, you know, you did a million and a half miles on track last year. And you have no incidents, you know, to report, you know, listen, people get mechanical failures, things happen. But, uh, you know, when they came to us a couple of years ago, they said, you know, you think about it, a million and a half miles, I guess that's what bean counters do for a living, right? They figure out how many cars are on there, how big the cars are, how much time you've had on there, how long does it take? And they figured out that we did about a million and a half miles on track in the Northeast. And we've never had a claim ever. We are considered by the insurance agencies out there, the, the safest HPD organization in the country. So nice. uh, congratulations on wood. Thank God our, our rates reflect that helps me out a lot. So all our drivers are doing the right thing. We missed a run group. We keep avoiding D group, like, Delta group. That, how, so. how, do, how does the, somebody qualify for this mysterious Delta group, which doesn't exist at every event? No, it doesn't. The D group is basically, I'm not going to say it's one step up from C. It's different from C. The driving skill set and speed and pace is, you know, is on par with C most of the times. It's not like any cars are that much faster. But the difference is point buys are not required out there. So it's an invitational group. It's the group that we have the least amount of incidences ever in any run group out there because we're really careful who goes on out there. And that's where you'll see a lot of these IMSA teams come into practice or, you know, the Trans Am teams and these, you know, pro drivers, they'll be out there in that Delta group. It's invitational. So basically, if you want to get into D, you have to be a C-level driver. Our D group leader is going to really go through everything with you and vet you to make sure you're there. 
It's dimensional awareness, situational awareness, predictability. There's no point buys required, but even though people do give point buys in D sometimes, you know, just to open the door. If I'm in an E36 doing 120 and I see that ZR11 turn behind me, I'm just going to be like, yeah, just go right there. The door is open for you. I'm not going to do it. Have a nice day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, and there's two rules in D. You know, there's two major, major rules. I know I have one, the only rule I have in D is there's no contesting corners. Two friends are going at it back and forth. That's fine. But you and that car don't have some arrangement, some radio, some whatever, some history. You don't contest a corner. That is it. There's zero tolerance for contesting a corner. You either give it or you don't give it. It's not a race. It's not race practice on how to block somebody. It's friends driving with friends and having a good time out there. I know this was the Chris Lou rule and Ken says it too. Rule number two, Go out there, drive. Don't be a dick. (laughs) I've heard that so many times. It's true. And that's all. And that's it. You know, so I have, you know, my one rule is don't contest a corner. And the group leader has his own rules. We don't really allow driver switching of a car out there in D because now you're out there, right? And you and Mark in the Mustang, you see him. You know how he drives, the predictability. You've learned it right away. Well, you get another driver in that car, suddenly he drives very differently. Now the predictability is gone. So that's one of the, the limits we set. We don't really want people, drivers switching cars that aren't there, which leads us into our group leader meeting. After the run group, about 10 minutes after you come off track, in the lower groups, there's more of them. The upper groups, you know, there's usually now one or two. After the first session of every event, that way, you know, we can actually talk about what goes on. And they're really important because that's where we're going to go. And we're like, that's a forum for the drivers. We're all going to talk to each other about what's going on out there. You know, what we've seen, what we're experiencing. And you're going to find out there's a guy with hand controls. You know what? He's not going to be able to give you a, a point by somewhere. You know, we're going to find out that there's a person, you know, who's in, you know, a radical that's going to be out there that morning with you because you don't know all the drivers. So at that meeting, and when you have a, or your first morning group leader meeting, and then your meetings afterwards, you're going to find out what's going on in your group. It's going to make you safer for the day. And you're going to find out what's happening out there. Even though you may not have experienced, other drivers could say something. You know, you could have pitted and then something happened out there. Say, you know what? Hey, we're seeing this at turn seven. You know, who's driving that blue Corvette out there? Man, great job out there. You know, it's like, listen, I saw how you took that turn and tracked out and it creates a dialogue of drivers getting to know each other. I think when people get to know each other, they're also more courteous and respectful around each other too. They're not just some random car. It's a person. I think they're really valuable. It's hard to balance that of like, you know, being overbearing and trying to give people too much, you know, and guidelines on how to do this and how to do that and being off in the wild, wild west. It's a, it's a balancing act. It definitely is. But I, I feel that those group leader meetings really help people that come out to it. And uh, it's a place to, uh, to share their grievances. Uh, you know, you've seen my morning meeting is about five to 10 minutes long in the morning. I tell you where the bathrooms are, where lunch is going to be happening. I tell you, to, you know, the couple safety options. And one of the things I always tell people is, uh, you know, don't suffer in silence. Shooting me an email next week and telling me what happened and how we could do better is fantastic. And I want that. If I could fix something for you today, right here at the track to make it better, that's my goal. Come see me, Mona, any of the coaches that are out there, your group leaders, you know, anyone, our grid staff is out there. You see something that goes on track that's weird. Pull through the pits. Car 37. Listen, I, I I don't think he's got a gas cap on there. You know, we're going to take care of that right then and there. Yeah. Throughout the day, you know, we, you know, we try to make sure there's bottled water, you know, hopefully next year, 
COVID restrictions lifted, we can get back to having, you know, snacks and our drinks and our coffee and our, you know, all the stuff that I shouldn't be eating every morning. But you never know what's going through someone, you know, they didn't drink enough. You know, you see a driver you've been driving with all day out there. It's a little bit different. You go out there and you pull through the pits and say, hey, you know, that car is really erratic out there. Pull him in. He might just need a wake up call because he's dehydrated. You know, we're always looking out for each other. I don't want people to suffer. I want to know whatever I can do to fix your day right then and there I want to do. And that's, yeah. uh, and I think that's one of the things we try really hard. You know, we don't always succeed, you know, but we're always looking to get better. We definitely appreciate it. And I got to say, I take this as a joke. One of the biggest changes I've seen over the years is your morning meeting has gotten shorter. And I thank you for it every time. Yeah. But- <laughs> But let's kind of switch up the conversation a little bit and talk a little bit more about coaching because that's, you know, the other side of the audience, right? You have the people that are really interested in trying HPD for the first time. You've got folks that are from other organizations that want to check out HOD for the first time, but there's also a glut of coaches out there that want to know what the HOD coaching program is like. Do you accept certifications from other groups? How do you become a coach with HOD? How do you get promoted to a coach within HOD? Do you recognize certification? from SCCA, PCA, MSF? Is there reciprocity there? Let's talk about that a little bit and try to invite some other coaches from other organizations to come and check out HOD as well. We don't necessarily say like, if you're a coach at any of the other organizations, it means you're automatically okay to coach or, hey, I did my MSF level one and two. I want to come coach with you. It really doesn't work that way. You know, it, you need to have a certain skill set. Someone wants to come in there and they've been coaching and they're coaching with XYZ organizations. I don't want to single anyone out like that. They would come up and say, hey, I coach here and this is what I do. And I'd like to, you know, come coach with you. you know? So they come to me, you know, or Moan or anyone else. We're going to put them right in touch with Ken you know, who's our lead coach. He's our head of coaches. I let him handle everything. I try to stay his hands off so I don't get in his way. My mentality has always been to manage from the bottom up, not the top down. I build a structure. This is the uh, the structure that we have to keep, you know, refining it. These are some basic guidelines of what is yes and what's no. And from there, I feel as, you know, uh, in a tiered managerial type of position, my job is to give the people who, for lack of better term, below me, the tools they need to do what they need to do. If I've instilled you as a group leader or a head coach or classroom or whatever that job that you have there, it's because I trust you enough at that job. If I had to uh, babysit you and just watch you at every moment, then, you know, I'm not, I don't need to have you there. So you're an adult. I vetted you through a process and you belong there. So my job now is to make sure that you have what you need. So with that said, I put them on to Ken and, and Ken will go through their resume. And, you know, it's a small, tight circle, the HBD world. So we all know each other. I have no problems when someone say from, uh, you know, when the guys are on Summit or Frat call me up and say, hey, you know who this person is? He wants to drive in this run group. This person says he coached with, he wants to come here. And I'll give them their resume and their history and, you know, some customer evaluations and different things like that. And uh, other organizations will do the same. They go through that whole process. You know, they give us their resume. They say this, we check out their head coach loves them. The, you know, person who owns the organization says, yep, they're fantastic. They do great. Usually Ken will give you, it's a couple page document. It tells you the HLD philosophy, you know, like what we explain, you know, these people are our guests, you know, we're, we're not coaching them a certain way. If a person's there, I'm not going to try to beat the head that you need to know how to take this apex. Perfect. That person's goal is what that person's goal is. If you, all you have to do is get him safely through the day. Make sure he has a good time and just break any bad habits as it goes on there. So the coach has to understand that philosophy. So depending where they came from, that's a hard thing to break sometimes, you know, because certain organizations are very geared towards 
We're teaching race car drivers. We're teaching a certain way and they have to learn something. So once they realize that, they'll figure out, is this for me or not? We'll take them in provisionally. And then Ken or some of the other guys that have been around the group leaders will work with that person to make sure that they understand what their expectations are set at and how to handle that. If all works well, you know, they do it a couple of times. They're an HOD coach. Forget that we started this past year. And so far we're doing it yearly and we're going to try and start to do it, you know, and coming soon, at least twice a year. We have a coach workshop. So every year at Pocono right now, and we're going to try and do it more than once a year. It's just very hard to get track time in tandem with an event. The Saturday before our big mega course, where we, you know, do the entire facility, we rent a small part of the track. So we have seasoned coaches that are coming out to refreshers. We have coaches that are just going out there to be mentors. And we have people that want to come in there and basically do this. Yeah, I mean, there's some qualifications, you know, that, you know, they basically, they have a chat with Ken first and we only take, you know, about 10 people through this. And most of the people just want to do it as refresher, but we're doing, we started that program now to kind of get people. We want our coaches to continuously improve. And like, if you stop learning, then you, you, you kind of, you, you probably shouldn't be doing something because, you know, the moment you start looking at things, I have nothing else to learn. You probably have more to learn you than you can imagine. And the first thing you need to learn is that I'll always learn something. So we really try to make sure that our coaches are up to date with different programs that are going out there, different technologies that are going out there. And whatever we can do, we try to share that information. We don't try to keep it all to ourselves and worry that, oh, well, other places might, they might take this somewhere else. You know, anything we can do to make the sport safer across the board is better for everybody. You know, so if I teach a coach how to do something, he becomes better at it and takes it to another organization. Well, you know, I know that someone's safer out there because of it. And those places, you know, hopefully they, you know, the reciprocity is there on how they do things. So, but we're trying because there are, there are a lot of places that have that and they, they definitely teach a certain way and get some skill sets in there. But we're, uh, we've tried this now and every year we're going to have at least one and we're going to try and move, make more of them where it's that coach clinic. We're not teaching you to be an instructor. We're teaching you how to do this, how to do this better. Is this for you? And we're only going to take like a handful of new people and promote them. But most of our teaching has been one-on-one -on -one throughout the year where we take you under our wing and really give you a personalized experience on how to coach. And it qualifies as an MSF certification too, for people that want that, which I think is a very good starting point is a really good starting point to learn, is this for me type of stuff. It's definitely not a program where it's say, I've done MSF. Now I'm a, now I'm a certified coach. No way. You know, there's a lot more to it than that. At least, it, at least for us, it is. And we want to make sure, like I said, that customer is getting what they deserve. You brought up a really good point. And it's something that I learned early on when I was becoming a coach. I actually, I got this from John Meyer, who's also a veteran HOD coach from the Northeast. And because in his real world job, he was a ski instructor. He yep. says, coaching high-performance driving is very much like coaching skiing because you're taking children and adults that, you know, you're trying to work on the basics, the balance and, you know, standing up on their skis and working the poles and all this. And it's a different type of mechanism than making large assumptions that everybody knows everything. And so, you know, that really resonated when he explained that, you know, how, what his philosophy was and his approach to coaching. And I see a lot of that actually amongst the HOD coaches and you see it amongst the good coaches do approach it that way. It's like, you're kind of clay and we're going to mold you or work from zero. And if you do have some natural talent, we can build upon that, you know, we can go from there, but yeah, it's not very, you must take this apex at 80 miles an hour, da, 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 you know, like a race school would be, it's, it's very much 
much more low key. So I want to make sure that people understand that it's not a stressful situation. We're there to work within your limits. We understand some people can be more timid. Some people can be more aggressive. We work with that and the coaches are super adaptable to all these different personalities and cars and all that kind of thing. So the idea is to ingratiate you into this world of high-performance driving, you know, work with what we've got for that weekend in a very quick manner, but make very good forward progress for you, the driver. But also we learn something every weekend, every student that I'm well into the triple digits of students now that I've had, I learned something from each one of them. And I learned something from other coaches. I mean, it's just one of these very wealth of knowledge sharing type of environments. So I, I just want to remind people that that is what it's really about. Again, that stress on that E part of HBDE. But I do want to move on to some of the more, you know, kind of bits and bites part of this that somebody might be listening for the first time or is already comfortable with HBD wants to know more about, you know, HOD, which is what are those average session lengths? What is the weekend cost on average? Let's talk about, you know, dollars per mile, dollars per session. What does that boil down to for somebody that's looking to come to HOD for the first time? That's a tough question to how we do that. My goal has always been to provide quality track time over quantity track time, so to say. So uh, we were at Watkins Glen last two weeks ago. I felt like we were so overcrowded with 40 some odd cars in the run group. But I break it down to what goes on. I'm like, okay, that's probably not that much. The guy that was running grid out there, he goes, oh man, you just seen. He goes, I don't want to say the name of the club, but they had 80 some odd cars in every run group. And he told me, I said, are you for real? He goes, I wouldn't lie to you. And I'm like, how can you have quality track time by putting 70 or 80 cars on there? Like you get what you pay for. And I'm hoping that we're providing value and quality track time from the responses we get when we ask people. And I, and I hope people are honest about it, but they say they get more quality track time and that's what they're really looking for over quantity. So yeah, you know, I could run three run groups, charge X, Y, and you had, you know, more track time, but if you get two good laps every session, as opposed to two or three bad laps every day for the whole day, I mean, I think, you know, we, we try to not price people out, but at the same time, I want to try and get less cars on track. And that's something we're going to stick to next year, because as a softy, I'm not taking these calls anymore from people, but he goes, oh, you know, I didn't register. I want to try and get in. And I'm like, okay, you know, our car counts are always a little bit lower to begin with. So um, starting for 2022, we're going to really strict car count numbers. And that is it. It's sold out. It's sold out. And like I said, I leave myself like a 10 to 15% buffer. Like I said, if you register for B and you don't belong there, we're going to move you into C. And if you register for C and I find out when you get there that your experience is Forza, you're going into A, you know? Right. I'll tell you about later, but I've had that twice in my life already. <laughs> yes. Gran Turismo was the, <laughs> the name of choice. But so we're trying to do that. So when you get a track like Lime Rock, that's one and a half miles long, it's in there. There's the most expensive track you could probably rent per mile. The couple tracks that are more expensive to rent out there, you know, you look at Coda is pretty long track there, you know, such a huge facility. You get Watkins Glen, you know, huge facility, three and a half miles. And then you get Lime Rock, which is actually more expensive to rent because we're one of the few people that our weekend in June, the second week of June is, uh, is become like a, a thing for us. And we don't have sound restrictions. So if you have a loud car or you need to practice with your race car, I mean, there's, there's very limited opportunities to do that on a weekend there. So we have that. And we're usually, I think the week before the SCCA regionals, which kind of helps a lot of those guys that really need that last minute test and tune or to bring a driver in and stuff like that. So I guess aimless pitch right there. We're there right before the SCCA races. How do you price that out by giving people and you have a, you know, a decently short day? 
it, this is an expensive hobby. And if you think of it in the long run, like the cheapest part of that weekend might actually be the, the entry fee. Once you consider fuel, getting there, the cost of tires, the cost of brakes and everything else you do, that might be the cheapest part of it sometimes besides maybe the hotel room. At Lime Rock, maybe not the hotel room. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, look, we're there in June at the perfect springtime. It's prime season at a hotel up there. And, and there's some nice resorts there. It's kind of hard to balance that. Because at the end of the day, you know, this is, it's a business and we have to keep things flowing. But I do this more because I just, I just love the sport. I love doing it. I love giving back. And I like to see the people that are having a good time. But like I said, you know, we got to keep the lights on at the same time. There's no McLaren Senna in in my future because of HOD right now. (laughs) McLaren wants to send me one, but I try to make it fair. Now we look at it, we come up with a number and I figure out how many cars I can put per mile what it costs to operate per minute there. The prices went up substantially, but I think this is what I'm going through all now to make get next year's price schedule. It was running me $58 a minute to run at Lime Rock. Wow. So that's my cost per minute. I'm paying the track. So, you know, do the math there. How many cars do you need at X amount of dollars to do that? I found out that most drivers would rather spend, you know, $25 or $50 more to know that they're on a track with a couple less cars, with a different quality of drivers that they're used to. And I think that's what we're really catering to. We're not the budget track day where, you know, you're coming in there, maximum time, go on and off all day. You know, that's definitely not us. I've done a couple events where we did less run groups, midweek events. Guys were getting like three to three and a half hours of track time midweek. I got complaints that there was too much track time. Like I literally got survey complaints that goes too much track time in there. And there wasn't enough time between sessions. And I'm looking at myself and I'm like, I thought that people just wanted more and more. So I started to realize that, you know, most guys want a little bit of downtime in there. They want to be able to do things. There are a lot of drivers that are coming out there just because, you know, this is their relaxation time. They're there with their friends. You know, they're not out there to get maximum track time. So uh, we try to balance that. So you could say on an average Two hours of track time, give or take, you know, depending on the track. Say at Watkins Glen, it's a very, very short day. They're very strict from 8.30 to 4.30. That's your entire day with an hour lunch on there. Where at Pocono, we're on there for, you know, a 10 or 11 hour day we can have, depending on what it is. We try to do that accordingly. So but you can figure on the two hour mark, give or take. At Lime Rock, like we'll run 20 minute sessions because, you know, when pace car probably running, you know, a minute and 10, a minute and 20 seconds, fast guys are running under a minute. You know, you're going to get, you know, 15, 20 laps, depending what you're doing out there, depending where you're putting out there. You know, if I gave you a 20 minute session of Watkins Glen, by the time you got your first lap done and you warmed up, you know, you'd, you'd get almost no time. So we're building the schedules ahead of time. We're going to put them up on all the event pages and, uh, and really try to adjust them to maximize the efficient time of you having a good time, having a break, depending where things are. I don't want you to have a three hour break because lunch fell in the middle of it all there. So it's a juggling act to try and make everyone happy. So we're definitely not the cheapest game in town. We're not the most expensive. We're just trying to make sure we're the most fun where you get the most quality track time. That's the goal here for me. For people that are excited to come learn more about HOD and and sign up for an event, where do they find out where HOD events are and how do they register for them? That's the easiest part. They just go to hookedondriving.com and then you'll see all the regions listed right across the board there. There's a membership fee that goes to our parent company, PDP, out in California. What that does get you, there's, you know, there's quite a few discounts that come up with that, depending what you're doing. You know, Wine Country is one of our national sponsors that come out there. So you'll get discounts. You'll get free shipping at certain times. Bell is, is one of our major sponsors out there. So for the coaches out there, I don't know if they, you know, a lot of people may not realize that every era, like the 2020 helmets came out there. So once every era, you're going to get a, a, any Bell helmet other than their 
I think 8860 line, you know, those four thousand dollar helmets, you know, any one of those helmets are going to be twenty five percent off for you. So you know, all the catches. There's a lot of others like that. We we have break partners. We have regional partners like that. We'll be announcing uh, certain deals for 2022. I don't want to shock anyone out there, but uh, you know, we have a uh, Rachel and David Eaton from Eaton Motorsports are out there. They're at all our events. You know, if you need something delivered to the track, they're bringing it with you out there. They're giving the HOD coaches a very nice discount on brake pads and a lot of the consumables that we uh, we go through. You know, those are the big ones, you know, the consumables. People don't realize how that adds up. As you know, John has got PMX Motorsports coming out there. You know, he's got some nice deals for communicators for all the coaches that want to upgrade from the old chatterboxes and stuff that would basically, you know, point-to-point helmet stuff for motorcycle guys in tandem. Mm-hmm. You know, but we've adapted. And so they give a lot of benefits out there that go through things, you know, uh, Apex Wheels. Buy Apex Wheels, you, you know, they double the warranty if you're a Team HOD member. So there's a lot of programs. And what I, t- I try to remind people, I see this all the time, and I uh, we actually go on our way to make sure people get refunded sometimes. It's like, wait, you and your wife and your son are coming. Why'd you buy three memberships? It's one family membership, and you can right. register any driver you want on there. Yeah, but that's something that helps keep that going on there for our sponsors and everything else. So there, there's a good amount of discounts that come out there that I, uh, I hope people take advantage of out there because it adds up, you know, you once, you know, you get the money off on one set of brake pads right there is more than that, uh, that yearly fee. Your events are listed on hookedondriving.com. Every once in a while, they pop up on places like Motorsport Reg and things like that, yep. depending on where you are in the country. But you register through HOD's proprietary system on hookedondriving.com. And then obviously it walks you through, you pick your event, you know, there's a whole shopping cart mechanism, all that kind of thing. And in the recent years, there's been something that's been added to the shop cart, there's some options that you can get. And so normally I'll ask people like, you know, do you recommend that a student get track insurance before coming to an event? But HOD actually recommends it right there at checkout. And you can sign up for track insurance through one of HOD's national partners. So I didn't know if you wanted to expand on that a little bit and, and get people to understand what that's all about. If you're flowing right in the direction I was going to go right into. So, uh, so yeah, so when you're, you're on there and you, you order your stuff, one of the options out there, like after you fill out all your information and your, your driver information, your emergency contact, and you ordered what you want, you know, there's that box there. So do you want to purchase track insurance? And uh, we don't provide track insurance. It's done through open track. Just try to do is provide a, an easier pathway. So you don't have to go outside. You can get everything done at once. So basically you go through that, you decide whether you want to buy track insurance. And one of the questions you asked was like, do you suggest, And I'm like, it's kind of like a personal type of thing. As more insurance companies are looking at this, you know, check your policy. Like there are certain companies out there that because we are strictly non-competitive as an education department, you know, you would be covered. And there are a lot of insurance companies now that have changed and said anything that goes on at a race facility is not covered. So the best thing to do is to check your policy. But after that, you know, you say you want to get track insurance. So, you know, track insurance, you know, with liability might be 350 bucks for the weekend, right? Think about what in, in reference to what is value to you. You know, this is your my daily driver. This is a dedicated track car. It really depends on the person. And when you look at it and you say, okay, I'm spending $1,000 this weekend on a hotel room and an entry fee and this and that, and then, you know, plus my fuel cost, plus my travel is 350 bucks make a difference to some people it might. 
to that person that that's their daily driver, they come up with a value and, you know, and that's what it's geared towards. So it's not like, okay, we're going to go find you another, you know, 2006, this, you're going to have an agreed upon value when you do track insurance, which is very different from what most people are used to. You're going to know exactly what your deductible is. You know exactly what the value of your car is. So you're going to, you know, you may have a car that's, I value this car at $47,000. You know what you put into that car. That's going to be the value of that car on that track. Regardless if they can find you 16 other cars for $4,000, they don't realize that you have $15,000 shocks in that car and you have, you know, $10,000 worth of motor work in that car. These motorsports, HPD insurance companies, they're familiar with what we do, which is very different from like, you try to explain HPD guy to your local insurance agent. And he's gonna be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's relatively, you know, cheap insurance, right? Against what can happen out there. We don't see a lot of instances and I know a lot of people do get the track insurance out there. So I'd never want to discourage anyone from getting it because it's peace of mind. Insurance is peace of mind is what it is for everybody. I suggest it. Yeah, it's out there. You know, it's not in everyone's budget all the time, but at the same time, you know, you, you got to look at the things, you know, what's uh, what's the cost of a windshield on your, on your Pista exactly. $5,000 windshield, you know? So, you know, it all depends on what goes on out there, you know, as opposed to a car that does that. So I like it, but you know, we don't actually make any money off of that. That is just a separate pass through that goes right to them. And in fact, you know, even though you, you're putting your card and your information out there, you'll see it come out as two separate bills. One goes right to, you know, what we did, what we hear. Team HOD fee goes where it has to go. And then that open track insurance goes where it has to go. So you'll see that separately out there. So we don't actually make any money on that. We're just trying to provide a service to our customers. One stop so shopping. There, it makes it easier. You know, I've heard stories of people, he goes, I want to get track insurance and I called and I didn't do this. I do that. And I wish I would have gotten it. Well, now we put it right there on our website so you can do it very, very easily. I will say, you know, the guys at Open Track are fantastically easy to deal with. They're responsive, the emails, the phone calls, or I mean, like you're talking, if you need to, you can talk to a human being, you know, right away. They work with us. So anytime people have had to make a claim or anything else, it's been very seamless. I just tell them, like, yep, this car was here at this event. I certified it was there. There's an incident report. And that's it. And they're done. You know, it's one, two, three. They've made it very, very simple and easy because the turnaround rate is so small. The chances of something happen to you at a racetrack during an education program like ours, you're more likely to have something happen to you on the way to the track and home than at the track. I mean, really. It's, and I know that because, you know, we've been told that from, you know, the insurance agencies and the bean counters have told us that. I'm very proud of that. And I, and I trust that because of, uh, of you guys that are out there that coach for us. You're our eyes and ears out there in the other run groups. So I got to give all you guys out there that, that you know, anyone who's a coach with us or coaches anywhere, I mean, you're the eyes and ears of everything in these operations. So, you know, my hat's off to you right there, out there, <laughs> spot up there, well, you know, you. because uh, you're, you're the guys that make this, uh, this sport what it is and safe. You know, we couldn't do this. We've got new drivers. Now you did mention something that is truth that we all understand, but often ignore, which is a mechanical failure, right? We are stressing machines to their utmost limit when they're at the track, especially when you're in the higher run groups, because you're, you know, yep. we're not timing, but we're all reaching for this golden yep. lap in our head, right? Let's call it what it is. A lot of organizations, they have a pre-inspection, they'll call it, or they'll have a tech inspection or something you have to fill out. And that's part of the registration process as well. So does HOD have that? If they do, how does it work? If they don't, how does that work? You know, explain that to the audience. 
when you register for an HOD event, you come on there, you're on our website, you've gone to hookedondriving.com, you're going to get what's called an e-waiver. So we've gone to an electronic waiver system, an electronic tech system. So basically you're signing the same waiver that you would sign at the racetrack. Instead of signing at every single event, you're signing a yearly waiver. Then you're also going to sign a tech inspection form that says that, and like I said, it goes back to treating you like an adult. You're getting out there, you're getting on a racetrack, you're getting into a car, that you're going to push to you know, a, a limit higher than what you would normally be driving. And it says that you're saying that say, I'm going to make sure that all of these things at the most basic level have been checked out. You're going to do that before every event. So I don't need you to bring me a tech form. You've already told me. You've signed the document and said, hey, I'm going to be responsible enough to do all these things out there. Come the day of the event, I'm not going to go over your car and look at it and make you wait in, in a 20-minute line to so someone could check your wheel nuts and take a peek under your hood or anything like that. One, no one at any of these events is, is really going to catch any of these major mechanical problems that usually happen. Two, it's time-consuming. I'm asking you to fill out a waiver and sign that you did this, and then I'm going to check up on you as if you are lying to me. If that's the case, do I even want you on track with me? With all that said, you know, our group leaders go over this and our coaches are out there and, and you do this also, you know, when you when you meet that student and you go over it, you're kind of going to the conversation about the car. I mean, we're all car people because we're out there at the racetrack and, you know, we're going to look at it. Yeah, check your torques and check your tire pressures this morning, you know, like just give them a member because they, they got a lot of things going on in their mind. They're there for the first time. That coach nine out of 10 times is going to give them a hand with that and say, oh, no, no, no. I'd say, no, you, you don't want to be at 38 pounds right now. I said, you know, that's we're going to do this and we're going to build up and, you know, they're going to give them because, you know, they're a wealth of knowledge out there. They're going to notice if that car is, you know, looking out there and says, well, that tire doesn't look like it belongs on track. You know, we are walking the paddock. We are looking at things. We are making announcements. We are telling people in our group leader meetings, these are all the things, you know, Hey guys, make sure, you know, you went over your checklist on there and, you know, you got it here, but before you go out and, you know, make sure your wheels are torqued, you know, take a peek that nothing happened from the last track day, you know, Hey guys, I know you were here Thursday and Friday, but you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're good today, Saturday and Sunday, you know, because a lot of times events go back to back. And if it's a destination track, you know, we do get a lot of people that will come say, you know, it's a 12 hour ride. I'm not going there for one day or two days, but if I can do a four day weekend there, I'm going to do it. I will say mechanical failures that we've had usually are nothing that we would have caught ahead of time. You know, no one's pulling up there a very small percentage. And we usually catch them at the grid line, you know, that's leaking something like that. If something happens, it's usually something that's been just catastrophic right out there out in the open. And like you saw at, at Watkins, you know, a motor blows, you know. I broke a wheel hub going into turn one. I was yeah. like, all right, whatever. It happens, right? It is what it is. Right. I heard about a guy who broke an axle on a skid pad at Watkins Glen. At, hey, uh, at, hey, you point. know, that's, that's a story of, for another day. It's a rainstorm. And then some maniac went out there and did the skid pad in the pickup truck. <laughs> uh, I still have that video. It's so funny. We're all, we would need deep. We would pretty much need deep in water pushing that car out of there. We? <laughs> but uh, we had a good time. So, I mean, that's the, the process with the tech inspection, you know, and it, in all seriousness, it's, really really important i mean you're putting your life on the line out there i mean would you would you go out and drive with ball tires and a snowstorm out you know in on the road you know with your family and your kids in the car probably not think of you know what goes on you know and if you're not capable of doing it we're asking you and you're asserting that you are going to have someone take this 
And I got to say, a huge amount of people are out there and they're going out there and they're getting their stuff checked out. And, uh, you know, we have certain, you know, partners that are out there being such a big region. It's hard to say, okay, go to this one spot or that one spot there. You know, we just want to make sure you're safe out there. And that's what it boils down to. And in the lower run groups, when you're first starting out there, if your car is roadworthy and in good shape, you can probably do this in there. You know, you, you can't take your minivan, you can't take your big SUV or your pickup truck out there. Most road cars are out there. And like I said, you know, it, it's funny when you see out there and you see, you know, a brand new Performante out there and there's a, a Honda Accord, bucket list type stuff, and they're out there together. It's crazy, right? If your car is capable of being out there, we ask you still, I, I don't care if it just came off the lot three weeks ago, go over it, make sure things break and being in the service industry, like a lot of people are there, we you know we do a lot of service stuff, you know, if things can break people, a lot of people wouldn't have jobs out there. So yep. I stopped questioning why things break, but we do what we can to pick up before had find the wear and tear items. Don't come to the track when you only have a quarter of your brake pads left. You know, don't come to the <laughs> that track. That never happens. That never ever happens. <laughs> I, I won't mention any names, but he's, he's a cancer now. It all is pretty much par for the course, right? I mean, these are things that people oftentimes forget to consider. And, and I think you've done a good job like explaining all that. But, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here and, and kind of bringing everything to a head, you know, HRD has a lot of great things to offer. It's a great program. It's been around for a long time. It's progressive, right? It's been changing. It's been, it's adopting. You guys have been at the front end of a lot of programs, you know, like MSF in its early days and things like that. So I wanted to take a moment to talk about if there were any other services that HOD offers that people might not be aware of, even if they've been around for a long time. You mentioned some changes that are coming in the 22 and 23 season, things that you guys have had to change because of COVID, you know, anything else that you wanted to address the services we offer a lot, what a lot of people realize, we do a lot of event management services and private event catering. There are people that we you don't know, want to go out there and do a private event. They want to, instead of doing a hundred thousand dollar Atlantic City bachelor party crazy weekend, you know, let's get a bunch of guys, let's go to the racetrack and rent a racetrack and stuff. You know, I just threw in a fictitious number out there. You know, it's like, you know, I, I, if anyone's out having a bachelor party with a throwing a hundred grand out there, please invite me. I'm yeah. Not, yeah. I want to be on that uh, list too. Right? Uh, me and Eric will be there right away. In fact, I'll put a cap on and drive. <laughs> We're both professional drivers here. No, but we do a lot of event management and private event services, whether you're, you know, a small club of enthusiasts, you know, you got your local exotic car club or anything, or, you know, the Shelby guys or the vintage Lotuses or anything like that. It's very hard to rent a racetrack. One, date availability is so hard to get out there. And two, it's ridiculous expensive. If you can have someone else put together a turnkey operation for you, where you just have to arrive there and you're done. We do that for you. One of our partners right now is Track Car Solutions, you know, and Mike is fantastic. You know, if you saw some of the, his setup over there, you know, with the uh, couple brand new C8s, you know, the 1LE, the Z28s, the SS Camaros, and, you know, and there's quite a few cars are out there. So for guys that want to do something and maybe do like, you know, a team building exercise or do something together, I mean, there's solutions there where we can actually provide cars now. It's not like it was years ago where if you wanted to rent, you were renting kind of like a semi-prepped race car and who does doesn't know how to drive stick and oh my god i'm getting into this you know what am i getting into over here and i can't fit into these spelts mike at track car solutions is in, in a lot of places and he has an arrive and drive program whether you know one of our members wants to say you know i always wanted to drive coda 
but I don't want to ship my car out there and I don't do that. Guess what? Simple phone call. You fly in there, you're picked up, you're there at the track, everything is taken care of and you fly home and, and you've driven the shit out of someone else's car, basically. Um, <laughs> so we do that for people where, you know, and say, hey, you know, I want to do a little corporate outing on a Wednesday, you know, in upstate New York or whether it's in New Jersey or Pocono, you know, we deal with the track operation. We get everything set together and we do that for you. Um, some car clubs, they want to do, they have, you know, 15, 20 guys, you know, they just want to be together and that's it. And they want to do all these, you know, famous racetracks and do stuff like that. So, you know, they'll pull their money together and kick in there and they have 15, 20 dates in California. We're doing that between Laguna and a couple other tracks that are out there and it's just them and that's it. So we do that and we we do that, you know, pretty much everywhere. And you consider the caliber of racetracks we have out there, you know, it's a lot of opportunity. I don't think a lot of people realize that we do that for them. Hopefully we can get some more guys out there to do some of these nice private days because I can tell you, they're easygoing. People have a great time. You know, they have a, it's, a, it's a white glove service type of operation. We really, we really try to treat them nice and have, uh, have some fun out there. The other part of, uh, you know, what we're planning to change, like I said, is we're really going to try and look over and just get away from what everyone else is doing. You know, everyone else does this, this, and this, and taking some of the data we've yet, I've collected over the last two years of what works, some of the surveys, what people like, what people don't like. And obviously you can't make everybody happy all the time. And I'm going to start to put together, like I said, I mentioned some of the numbers for Watkins Glen. And I'm like, you know how big that facility is. You know how big that track is. 27 cars out there. I mean, you should never see a train of cars out there. And it's like that. You do 35 cars, you know, or in the higher run groups, it kind of gets boring when you don't have something to play with, so to say. So, you know, if you take 15 cars per mile and multiply that by 3.4, when I put 45 cars out there, I'm well under that. My goal has always been between 12 and 15 cars per mile. Next year, we're actually going to kind of work on that where it's a lot less in our lower groups. I think people with less cars, you know, even though it might be a little bit more money, kind of hurts the profit line a little bit later on, but I want them to have a good time. And I want them when they get somewhere else to be like, you know what? I'm going back. I really want them to be hooked on driving with us. I think that's one of the major changes we're going to be doing next year, along with keeping a very adaptable schedule. It's one of the things we do differently. Um, mishaps happen. You know, someone blows a motor and spins oil on the, at the end of his run group. Who suffers? They had two laps left. Next group lost 10 minutes. I don't tell people like, you know, well, sorry, you know, you lost that run session because someone blew oil before you. What happens if that happens three times in a row? You know, I don't want someone leaving there getting 15 minutes of track time for the day. Have you seen like, uh, you know, I will go up there and, I, you know, I'll work with the uh, race control people and really figure out how do I maneuver this? At the end of the day, you've had cars break down. You have guys that are tired. You know, you lose some drivers through attrition. They're just like, nah, I'm not going out the last session. You know, kind of at the end of the day, we'll try to manufacture where people fit in with each other. Like the C and D group drivers, for the most part, are on the same level. And most of the, that's where most of the coaches drive also. We have a lightly attended event and we're already running those lower numbers to begin with. It becomes a lot easier to kind of combine maybe one group to get back a half hour. Makes sense, and then, yeah. you know, give the C group an extra 15 minutes here and give the B group the 20 minutes they lost here. So I try to adapt to that. I know you guys uh, provide a great online tool, C scheduling and stuff. So we're going to try and work forward to have something 
electronic displayed at all our sites for, for next year. And uh, we're working on that. Hopefully I'll get it done by March where people will see any uh, schedule changes. I know people tell me, you know, I get on that microphone, you know, at all events and I try to make announcements and, you know, like I said, our, our run group leader meetings, you know, when we're going to make changes and we try to adapt. As a driver, you know, if I lost track time, it's upsetting, you know, it happens. But when it happens this time and this time and this time, you know, we go through events where we have four or five events where like not one thing has ever gone wrong. And then you'll have an event where there's like literally five breakdowns who blew a radiator hose, an oil line broke, you know, or just like just mishaps, a control arm just snapped, you know, things that just happen, you know, it's, it's nature. It's we're stressing cars out tremendously. You know, you have, it doesn't have to be driver error all the time, right. you know, even though right. there is, I want to make sure that I try to make it right for those people as, as best I can. Something happens, you know, near lunchtime. Okay. You know what? Guess what? We're going to start lunch now and move the whole schedule by half hour. We try to work with the tracks to adapt that. Um, people say share the wealth, I guess, uh, share the pain of losing a little track time. So you haven't lost 30 minutes of track time. Maybe every group has lost four or five minutes. And yeah, it, it all just blurs into gray yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, we try our best to really do that. And we're going to really work harder at that for next year to keep that number lower so we can adapt a little bit better. So hopefully, you know, knock on wood, you know, we won't need it, but it'll it'll be another tool in our toolbox. Right. Now, the one looming thing out there, COVID is still a very real thing. And obviously, we're going to foremost follow state, locality, and then track guidelines, right? Every track has different things. And even at Watkins Glen, there was posts all over the place, you know, still social distancing and all this kind of stuff and this and that. I mean, there's a lot of open space at the Glen, which is nice, like a lot of tracks, like you're not indoors at really at any point. I'm not trying to make any exceptions there, but any special COVID-related rules that HOD has instituted, whether between students and coaches or amongst the, the guests, whatever it might be that you want to share with folks so that they know coming into next season what to expect. We're following old guidelines given to us by every track. Being that we cover so many states, it's a lot to follow. But behind the scenes, basically, I get there the day before, you know. We do an inspection. We make sure things have actually been cleaned and sanitized. And if they're not, we get on the phone with someone, whoever's got to do that. There's masks at our classroom. There's masks at the gate. There's masks at our registration table. And we tell people, listen, they're here. Anyone wants one, you don't feel comfortable with something, say something, we're going to do what we can. Like at Watkins Gun, we no longer use that little room for any kind of meetings. As far as the group leader meetings, we went and we use the media center now, which is, if you've been in those two rooms, is huge. People can be really spaced out, you know, a little bit better between whether it's the press room or the other room. The other thing that goes on, like say for our coaches and all our novice guests or anyone who's going to be coached at an event, we also provide professional coaching for much higher level with data acquisition. It's in car and out of car. That's another thing that we do. We have a lot of pro coaches that will actually come to us, whether it's, you know, they're flying in from California or, you know, wherever they are, you know, we had some fun with Billy Johnson uh, last week. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. That could be a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> yeah. So we, so we send out an email and you said, listen, do you want to be with someone, you know, whether they, you will not work with someone who's vaccinated, what, what's your preference as far as what you want? Do you want to be in a lead follow situation, which for, you know, people that don't know what this is, it's like, we're going to teach you from outside the car, you know, we're going to do our best. And depending on the cars, and we try to pair people up because technology is here. There's a lot of great technology out there. We can Bluetooth car to car pretty much, right? There's a lot of options to use technology to help us. So we can guide someone behind them, walk them through as if they were in the car. That is a great tool to use. I feel in-car coaching still has a very important place because 
someone who's never done this probably has bad habits, whether it's they keep taking their hand off the wheel to hold the stick or whether it's, you know, the, their hand position. Being in the car as a coach, and I guess there are certain risks, and I'll, I'll get into that too. You can see certain things, you know, you can see his body language, you can see how tightly he's gripping, whether he's holding in the right spot. So a lot of habits to break that go on like that. So that part is a really important aspect of being in there. But we have COVID now. So how do you social distance in there? What we tell people, if you're going to be in a car together, listen, you have two wide open windows with 100 mile an hour wind coming through you. And you're wearing a face mask. So we, we insist if you're going to be in a car together, obviously, you know, a father's coaching his son who lives at home with them and stuff like that. You know, am I going to enforce that? It's like, no, you live together. You drove in the same car there and you're sleeping in the same hotel room together. Let's use some common sense in here like that. But we send out an email, we survey, and we match people up with what they're looking for. But if people are in the car together, we're asking, and in certain states, it's mandated that you wear a mask at all times and the windows have to be down. We usually don't have a window rule. We're okay. Our insurance company is fine with it. Windows have to be either all the way up or all the way down. But like I said, you know, it, how are you going to give a point by with a closed window? So yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, yeah, right? <laughs> but, but for the coach, when it's raining, it's a great thing. The windows are open and you have to wear a face covering in there. Most of the people will wear a face mask and then we'll give them an HOD balclava, you know, a head sock to put over this. So you have kind of have an extra layer out there. Yep. The communicators that we give out are sanitized. We have new phone pieces at every event. Basically, you're a student. You're going to get a headset, a communicator that's going to slide into your helmet. I know we're on a podcast. I'm making hand motions here. <laughs> like and you're going to put it in there. So that's been sanitized. It's been cleaned. Bring bottles of alcohol and stuff to every event with cleaning wipes and sanitizing wipes. After that mic's been sanitized, a new foam mic cover goes on that. And you keep that with you. So that's yours. You're using it. And then when you give it back to the coach, when you're done with it, he's going to clean and sanitize it. And then we provide, you know, new uh, foam pieces for them. I mean, at the coaches meeting, when Ken goes, I have foam mic feats. If you need new ones, you know, you know, a lot of guys I've noticed have been going on Amazon, just buying them for themselves, you know, because they just want to make sure they always have them. But and there are people that never go out and follow the strictest guidelines and they suddenly get it out of nowhere. So we do the best we can to protect ourselves, but we treat you like an adult. You're outside. How much time are you really spending alone in a close quarters with someone? It's really minimal, yeah. but we still insist that you have there. And we ask well, you know, you to choose your vaccination request. If you do not want to be with someone who's unvaccinated, we were not going to pair you with someone who's unvaccinated. You know, it, it's your choice. We're all adults and we're never going to try and force anyone to a situation that they're not happy with. And on the flip side of that, now's a great opportunity to start thinking about maybe refreshing your helmet and getting one with comms already built into it. I will say I made the switch last season because I was due for a new helmet and I will never buy another helmet that doesn't have integrated comms ever again because it is a godsend that's for sure but <laughs> at any rate so Mike as we're closing out here any shout outs you want to give to sponsors friends people while you still have the microphone at your disposal something you you know anything you want to say to to fans out there of HOD uh, as a thank you or otherwise I gotta thank all the coaches that are out there I mean they do a fantastic job of really showing the people that are out there, what we're about. The staff people that I work with, you know, I got to say we have the most amazing group leaders and out there, you know, um, our group C leader, Steve Furman, you know, it's funny you hear me at the driver's meeting, the jeweler of the drivers, you know, he's, uh, have you seen like, I, you know, you guys have those HOD watches, Steve made them for everybody, you know, and he just created that stuff. So he's, uh, he's great. He's fantastic out there, and and he really, really is passionate about what he does. He cares about those people. Like, they're like his kids, even if they're older than him. You know, that's the way he looks at it. He goes, uh, Ken has been indisposable. I mean, he's just fantastic. He's, he's been the 
group D leader, which kind of just fit great for him for a while because it's, uh, you know, he's got a lot of coaches were running in there. He really has his hands on right on there of what we actually do and what we mean. And, and the amount of time and effort he puts into things, it shows, it shows completely on, on how operations run. He's been fantastic, Ken, out there. And we have Dave Dubois has come on and people know Dave has been around for a very long time doing this, you know, chief instructor for Ferrari comes out there and, you know, and he helps us with our intermediate drivers, the hardest run group I think there is out there. And then, you know, you have Jay who's been around and, you know, sorry, Jay, but you, I mean, I think uh, you've been around before Dirk doing this, you know, I mean, there are tracks that have opened, closed, opened and closed and no longer exist that you've been to that I'll never get to see now. And, uh, and all these guys bring all these years of experience and their only goal is to really pass on this information so this can continue and, and be out there. And it's, uh, so I got to thank all those guys out there that really make this happen. I, I got to thank the coaches that are always out there just looking out for people and just, you know, just really on top of everything to make sure we have a great event. And then we have the people that come out there and, and make our drivers and our, our people that are out here. Fantastic. Like I mentioned, you know, Dave and Rachel from Eaton Motorsport, they do an absolutely fantastic job of out there. And if, and if it's funny too, because if you go to their website, you'd think they were only a, a Subaru type of guy, but they, uh, they do everything. Um, I had a problem with some shock shocks on my RV. They actually got me Coney shocks for my RV. I mean, so they're a one-stop operation out there. Um, a lot of guys know Greg Bristow from his uh, Camaro days. And, uh, you know, even though we haven't seen him in a while, but he provides all those numbers, those awesome stickers that everyone looks forward to. You know, we have Fast Automotive, you know, Adrian and his Trans Am team. You know, they come out with us. They do so much trackside support for everyone. It's just, it's great. This year, uh, we've had Bright come on. And if people don't know what Bright is, they're uh, an internet solution security company. What she said really hit home. is like, you're out here you know, enjoying your time at the track, you don't have to worry about what's going on with your website, you know, especially with internet commerce. And, you know, so much is based on the websites out there. And that's what they do. And they've come out there and they've had a great time. And like I said, I mentioned Mike already from Track Car Solutions. I mean, he, there's lots of times when guys just, they don't want to bring their four, five, $600,000 car out to a racetrack. So, you know, one windshield is more expensive on their car than, uh, than renting a track car for the day. So Track Car Solutions provides a, a great chance for people to drive some really nice cars without having to take their cars out. Or the flip side is that they can actually go to tracks around the country without having to ship their car. So these are guys that are making our drivers' days a lot easier. And these are our local regional guys. And uh, and we try to you know have a part for everywhere. Uh, next year, uh, one of our drivers, Chris Coronado, I mean, he's got a, a tremendous realty group out of Jersey. And he does a tremendous amount of rental properties. You could say almost like an Airbnb up at Watkins Glen area. You don't want to stay in a hotel room. And uh, we try, like I said, you've seen our operation. We're very family friendly. We ask people, bring your wives, bring your girlfriends, bring your kids out there. And there's things to do, especially at a place like Watkins Glen. Uh, it's, uh, it's how I first got Mona to come out to the track. You know, I got them to come out to go camping and they would go to Corning Glass Museum and see the waterfalls and we'd go camping and stuff like that. So it's a really awesome like family type of weekend out there where, you know, you get to go out and play and they can do a couple of things. And then, you know, our day ends at 430. So you are plenty of time to go out and do stuff with the family and have dinner and everything else. Chris is a, is a, is a great guy, He's super fast out there. And He's got a bunch of properties out there up up in Watkins Glen that he does rentals for, you know, for guys that, you know, want to do a, a bed and breakfast near the track side. And as a track guy, it's great to have someone like that on board. Try to figure out what 
helps people. And like, and I say this in my meetings and stuff like, you know, so we're the core of America, you know, all these small businesses out there, and we should always really be trying to help each other out, out there. Jeff Bezos does not need another jet. I don't think he does. I mean, maybe he does. You know, can you get those same brake pads on Amazon? Maybe a little cheaper? Maybe, probably not, not with the service that these people are going to provide. And, you know, when you get some, say, say from Dave and Rachel Eaton out there, you know, it's going to be a real part and you don't have to worry about whether it's been fake or anything else yeah, like that. Uh, you know, so when you're dealing with these people, they're, they're really top notch guys. They're track people. They come to the track and that's what they're all about. So they understand what people need, what they want and what they expect. I love our continued relationship with them, you know, locally. And then on national tires, you know, we, we have Toyo, which is uh, another, you know, thing like which is unheard of in the HPD industry. You know, all our coaches, I know, you know, and you you get them right. You you see them when they come in there. So when you coach every event you coach for us, you're going to get Toyo bucks sent to you, which you redeem. And then you know, every event you're out there, you know, you do a couple events. Next, thing you know, you have four or five hundred dollars towards you know getting a Toyo tire. You know, well, if you're in a Miata, that's that's more than half a cent right there. <laughs> you know, if you're in a New Camaro, that's almost one back tire. Yeah, right. So uh, those little perks that we tried really our hardest to provide for our coaches, because those are the guys out there and, and our members that are coming out there. You know, everyone works hard for what they have out there. And I and I uh, and I appreciate that they choose hooked on driving. And I'm going to do my best to give them the, uh, the the best day that they can. And that's uh, that's what we do out there. So, you know, thank you to all those people out there. Thanks, Bell. Thanks, Locked and Affinity. Thanks, you know, Open Track and Wine Country and uh, the corner workers. Because people don't realize they're the unsung heroes. Those corner workers and ambulance workers and our track first responders. I mean, you have no idea what's happening at that next turn. And when you're doing 160 in the back straight at Watkins Glen, that flagger is the only person that's going to tell you what's up there ahead of you. And those people, I think, don't get the recognition they deserve. So every time I chance I get, I thank them out there. Those are the people that are keeping us safe. They're the guys that are giving us communication of what's going to happen in front of us. If any of those guys ever listen to any of this like that, listen, thank you so much for what you do. And, uh, you know, it's a labor of love for those guys. I know that. You know, they're out there, and whether it's raining, whether it's hot, whether no matter what it is, keeping us safe. So I want to thank them out there, too. I think there's two people we forgot, and I'm going to shout out to them. First and foremost, Jay's better half, Ginny, for always being at every event, you know, putting up with all the shenanigans and the chaos that goes on. But there's one other person, and I know she's in the room with you, and she deserves a massive amount of applause for keeping everything running so smoothly. And that's a big... No, no, it's a big thank you to Mona. She abandoned me for this call, for this podcast. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think this ship would stay afloat without Mona. And and, and she doesn't ask for a lot of praise, but she deserves every ounce of it. So thank you. Thank you. I will say I'm, I'm very blessed to have Mona in my life with this. You know, she is the voice of Hooked on Driving. When you call, she's the one who uh, who picks up the phone. She tells me everything I'm doing wrong. Uh, <laughs> and once in a while, you know, very rare, she tells me what I do right. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, thank you. And I can't tell you how many people have met at the track are now like family, friends, go on vacations together. It's a really great feeling to see that, you know, we can provide that field and that environment where people are so comfortable that, you know what, you got to come over, bring your wife over to my house for dinner and stuff like that, you know, where, you know, I I never really saw that before HOD, you know, I didn't see a lot of that. And I I think we kind of moved in that direction. You know, there's a lot of organizations out there 
And, you know, I think we've scratched the surface on like, you know, a single digit percentage of what's out there car wise. I mean, this is the golden age of performance in cars. It really is right now. So, I mean, you think about the amount of cars that are out there that can do this and the amount of cars that are doing this, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people out there. So there's, I think there's something for everyone, you know, like I said, not everyone wants to be a race car driver and, you know, we treat people as that friends driving with friends, drivers driving with drivers, you know. So with that, Mike, you know, I have to say it has been an honor and a privilege to grow with and be able to work with HOD all these years. Obviously, you know, we've had a strong relationship, you know, many of us from GTM come from HOD and vice versa. And it's been a mutually beneficial family relationship as, as you call it. So it, it's been an honor to be able to be part of this and see this story expand and be able to, you know, stand here and go, what does the next five, 10 years look like with HOD? And so we're really excited to see what happens and what comes of all this. And so for those of you that don't know the story, you're hearing this for the first time and you want to learn more about HOD, now is your opportunity to jump on www.hookedondriving.com and then click on Northeast and check out all the things that Mike was talking about, or maybe you live in a different part of the country, check out the other events that Hooked on Driving has nationally that are available to you. Also check for up-to-date schedules on HPD Junkie, another you know HOD partner, but also remember to follow HOD on Instagram at Hooked on Driving and at Hooked on Driving NE for Northeast, or join the HOD Northeast Facebook group. So if you're into that and you want to chat with some people, reconnect with folks that you met at the track, that's a great opportunity to do that. So Mike and Mona, who I know is in the background, I can't thank you both enough for all the many years of us working together, but also for coming on Break Fix and getting this opportunity to get your story out there and tell people and get them closer to HOD. And hopefully we'll see them out there next season. No, listen, thank you for having us on here. And thanks for, you know, over the years, you guys definitely have put a tremendous amount of support in us. And, you know, me, me and Mona, we, we appreciate that. We, we love that, you know, you'd have your yearly bash at the events, you know, we've had a, a couple anniversaries out there, which are always fun. Shenandoah is back on the schedule for this year. All right. Yes. So uh, I did not put it up. It'll be putting up tonight. Silly fact. I, uh, we wrote the dates down, scribbled them down when I was with the track on the bill and we couldn't find them. And we will be the um, third weekend of June at Shenandoah. So that's a great weekend. Yeah. So looking yeah. forward to that. Let us know if we were uh, plan around that. Yeah, that'll work. And then we, uh, we have the summit main back later on, but I think June is more fun, Very especially cool. with the skid pad like that. So we'll, uh, well, I'll bring extra we, axles. How about that? We, Is that a deal? We, we definitely plan on bringing back our Saturday night barbecues if COVID allows it. That's one of the things we've missed the most, that family type of everyone getting together and just, you know, everything just has such a good time. I That's what I think I missed the most about this past season with COVID mm-hmm. taking over. Barbecues are legendary. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, just get a couple of us, mix a little Pat Sullivan in there and whoosh, you're having a good time. <laughs> it's all a good time. That's right, listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our Patreon for a follow-on Pit Stop mini-sode. So check that out on www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports and get access to all sorts of behind-the-scenes content from this episode and more. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, 
You can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.